and welcome back to Sharp Scratch. You're listening to episode 92, Can I Be Myself at Work? This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where medical students, junior doctors and expert guests come together and discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor that you might not get taught at medical school. I'm Charlotte and I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ, looking after all the content the BMJ student will be producing this year. I've also just finished my fifth year as a medical student at the University of Oxford. Today we're joined by our panellists, Cody and Maz. Hello, hi, I'm Cody. I'm an F1 doctor in South Thames Deanery. And yeah, I'm glad to be back here. I'm not in sunny Dundee anymore, but I'm, I'm living in London, which is exciting. Um, been nearly six months now. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's flying by. And I do, I do kind of miss the sunnier city in Scot- Scotland. Right? Uh, I, 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 yeah, don't, I don't know how else anymore. to define myself. Like, <laughs> there's nothing else interesting about me now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we've also got a new panellist with us today, Maz. So Maz, would you like to introduce yourself? Hiya, uh, my name's Maz and I'm a fourth year medical student at Anglia Ruskin. Uh, I'm currently uh, just coming to the end of a year's intermission uh, and I'll be back at the end of April. So yeah, uh, I'm enjoying doing this because it's reminding me what medicine is all about. Well, it's great to have you with us today, Maz. And um, I'd also like to welcome our expert guest today, Dr. Brandon J. Dunlop. Yes, sure. My name's uh, Brendan Dunlop. So I'm a uh, principal clinical psychologist in the NHS. And then I'm also a deputy director of research and clinical lecturer in clinical psychology at the University of Manchester's clinical psychology training programme. And then I'm the author of a book that came out last year called The Queer Mental Health Workbook. Um, So thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased and looking forward to getting into a nice juicy chat. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's great (laughs) to have you with us today. Every consultation we have with a patient reveals something about us. Sometimes we do that deliberately, sometimes it's just incidental, but we always bring something of ourselves to the consultation. In a recent episode, we talked all about self-disclosure, when it is and isn't appropriate to share things with your patients. In that episode, we focused on health and illness, but today we're going to be talking about things that are, I guess, kind of outside of the sphere of medicine. For example, the way we consider our identity and other aspects of our personal life. This might be through outright self-disclosure, or it might be more linked to all of the non-verbal and visual cues you get and give in a consultation. So I wanted to kind of start off by thinking about why this might feel slightly different to the previous episode um so we recently talked about disclosing things about your health like saying to an asthmatic patient that you also have asthma but this one is more about your personal life uh sharing information about who you are as a person and that feels a bit different so brendan i just wondered if you had any kind of initial thoughts on why that might be yeah so i guess well it probably comes as no surprise to any of us that you know, the relationships that we build with the people that we work with are really, really important. And certainly in in my world of psychology, that's one of the most important things, really. But I guess in the kind of world of medicine, your patients have got to trust you and they've got to feel like you are people that they can talk to about um, maybe some really tricky things as well that that's going on for them medically. And I think there's an element of... Um, shared humanity that pops into my mind straight away when this topic is brought up because I think 
we live in a society, we, we, we work in roles which often really emphasise power differences, whether they're implicit or explicit. And I think sometimes if we can do little nudges or kind of um, embody uh, certain conversations that break down that power, um, of which I think sharing things about ourselves can sometimes do, I think that's really important. So that's that's the the initial thing that pops into my mind when you kind of uh, went ahead and said that, Charlotte. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think like, in some ways, there's a bit of a false separation between the two episodes, because your health can often impact how you feel about your identity. And it's all about the way that you see the world mm. and the way that the world sees you. But um, yeah, I do think it's interesting to try and think about it in terms of these power dynamics and things that you just mentioned, Brendan. Um, and I know that you deliver training and courses on this kind of thing, and also that you've recently written a book, as you mentioned, uh, the Queer Mental Health Workbook. So why did you kind of write that? And why do you deliver those courses? What kind of motivated you? Yeah, that's a really, really good point. I guess working clinically with um, clients, especially from the LGBTQ plus, or uh, I might use the word queer community because um, that's that's the word that I kind of use quite often, um, is, well, I guess it was really interesting that a lot of our therapies that have been developed uh, are, are pretty generic and they are, um, you know, they're, they're useful for a bunch of people, but they sometimes didn't always capture the nuances of marginalised or oppressed experiences. And, um, you know, if we try and, you know, fit a, a, a square peg through a, a triangular hole, it doesn't work. So we have to come up with different solutions. Yeah, so I do a kind of a lot of teaching and training on queer mental health to a variety of different audiences. And I guess sharing aspects of ourselves um, often comes up within those within those training sessions um, because there can be unique challenges and considerations, really, if you are, for example, a queer practitioner working with queer clients. So something that can come up is things like dating apps. You know, sometimes people might be on dating apps and they might um, inadvertently come across a client, you know. So you two look like you're chuckling. I don't know if this has <laughs> happened. Oh, I'm, awesome. <laughs> I'm laughing because I... Um... Saw my pharmacist on a dating app literally yesterday. It was very funny. Ah, uh, okay. I, me- I, I, I immediately <laughs> went back. Like, I, I didn't realise, but I turned up to the pharmacy to pick up my prescription. I was like, wait, wait a minute. I've seen you before. <laughs> I couldn't have went back and blocked because I was like, this is awkward. I, 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 don't, I don't need this in my life. I just went back and blocked them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. And do you know what? It's... It's something which, um, you know, other people maybe don't have to consider as much. You know, if if people are in um, potentially relationships or, uh, you know, don't use dating apps, maybe they don't have to think about this as much. But I think it's something which does come up in the training sessions that I deliver. You know, how do you how do you live and potentially work in the same community um, that, you know, of your clients and patients. So sometimes we have discussions about navigating that. There's one of the pieces of research that I was involved in was, was helping to create a bit of a framework for helping people 
kind of decide whether they want to share things about themselves with the people that they're working with. Um, and on that particular framework, there are, there, are, there are certain considerations that I, you know, kind of encourage people to think about, including how comfortable they feel having that discussion. Yeah, I think you touched on something really kind of relevant to a lot of Sharp Scratch episodes there, which is you're a you're a doctor or a you know a psychologist or you're someone who works in healthcare but you're also a person and you're also a person who maybe lives in the same community as their patients like you said but you're also just a person with everything that entails you you can't just be a a blank slate you know psychologist or doctor or therapist etc um yeah and yeah I know that's something we've thought a lot about before so Cody Maz do you have any kind of reflections on what that kind of means for you as someone who's who's sort of starting out in this world maybe I, I would say my personal trick is that I'm very open but very very closed um I say a lot but not very much um <laughs> everyone knows everything but not anything um yeah that, that's all I was gonna say I, th- I think it's really un- underrated but small talk is is such a skill um be, like you say being able to 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 fill space without actually saying very much um is really interesting and i remember somebody at uni once said to me um patients will remember more of how you make them feel than what you actually say um and i think that it's a real challenge to kind of you, you almost have to go into a consultation knowing in advance um these are some things I'm happy to talk about. These are some things I'm not. But like you say, in a patient consultation, they'll throw those questions at you and you have to make a decision split second. Am I going to be, uh, you know, am, am I going to be honest in this moment or am I going to close them down or am I going to just say, mm-hmm, that's nice? You know, so um, I think it's a real <laughs> art being able to um, share without sharing uh if that's what you choose to do you know like exactly it's such a yeah it's thank a, you so much um yeah um but I, I just to like piggyback off that I, I think that's why um stuff like um brendan's book is quite important in a sense that um in order to be able to be comfortable and present in that moment you do need to know yourself and just be very very, very attuned with, with your identity and what you're happy to share in different situations um just before we did this recording i was thinking oh god how long have i been working for it's like oh my i've been working like professionally for 11 years i'm old now oh my god but i do remember when i first started working when i left school and i was definitely performing professionalism um when i first started working in back in 2012 i was like oh yeah this is how i'm this is my work personality and this is my home personality and this is everything i'm going to say at work and this is not what i'm not going to say at work but back then age 18 19 i didn't really know myself i wasn't really fully attuned with all aspects of my personal life and i think the moment I became more attuned with all aspects of my personal life, my personality and the type of person I am, these situations just became a lot easier to deal with. So if somebody asks me about my dating life, it's like, oh, well, you know, uh, work, busy, ha ha ha. Because like my dating life is not something I feel comfortable 
talking about with uh, patients, so I'm not going to discuss it. Yeah, Brendan, do you have any kind of thoughts on that? I, I noticed you nodding along there. Yeah, I mean, I've got lots of thoughts because I was thinking earlier about, yeah, this idea of dis- of, of disclosure often not being a choice for some people. So if somebody is visibly pregnant, for example, or that's the assumption that we make about them, they have told us something about their lives that we haven't had to ask about. And, you know, when it comes to, um, I guess, sexuality or gender identity, there might be the ways that people present, again, tone of voice, the way that people move, walk and embody themselves. That might potentially, uh, you know, make people think certain things, whether those assumptions are true or not. And again, I was thinking about, um, yeah, race and ethnicity. It's, it's, a, it's a visible disclosure if you are a black, brown person or you're another, another person of colour. That's a disclosure which you haven't got any control over um, and can invite conversation um, sometimes and assumption. I was thinking what, what you said there, Cody, was really interesting about, yeah, the fact that I guess dating is something that you don't talk about with, with patients, which sounds completely sensible and I was thinking about other aspects of um, identity when it comes to things like relationships and I was I was thinking about the fact that I think and this probably as you mentioned kind of has coincided with my development as a person and a, a professional this idea that sometimes when people would, might say to me things like oh have you got a girlfriend you know I think maybe five six seven years ago I might turn around and say oh no, and just kind of leave it at that. Um, But now I might be more inclined to say, oh no, actually I've got a boyfriend. And because I think there's something about us being seen that I think is really important potentially as, first of all, marginalised or oppressed people, but also as people that might have experienced mental health challenges ourselves. Because part of me thinks that stigma and those assumptions that people hold might perpetuate and continue unless we also sometimes step into a slightly more uncomfortable zone where we feel like we want to challenge that status quo. And again, that's a personal decision. And the, you know, the framework, again, that I've mentioned before, talks a lot about comfort as being a really important domain of sharing. Um, And I think I'm at that position now where I'm thinking my comfort levels are sometimes expanding (laughs) where I feel like I can maybe share or navigate discussions with people in a bit more of an expansive way. Um, So that was the one thing I was thinking about, that idea of, you know, being seen as as the uh, kind of beautifully um, diverse bunch of people that we are. Though I hold the knowledge that that is not a position that everyone will feel completely comfortable in at this point in time or ever so those are my kind of Mm -hmm. thoughts based on that really interesting discussion yeah I think that is like exactly what I've been thinking about when like thinking about this episode like all of those things it's complicated and people are going to feel more and less comfortable at different times in their lives with with all of this Um, And you've mentioned the framework and comfort a few times. So I thought maybe we could come back and talk about kind of some of that right after this message from our sponsor. Indemnity. 
You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with Medical Protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, every week, one lucky new joiner wins £200. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more. Okay, back to the show. Um, yeah, so Brendan, I didn't know if you wanted to just kind of pick up on some of some of that that you mentioned before about um, comfort and I guess shame potentially goes hand in hand with that as well. Absolutely. And you know what? I think it's, it's, a, it's a really important consideration, the fact that if someone asks us something about ourselves and we choose not to answer it and we maybe make it quite explicit that we're not answering it I always wonder about how that person receives that but I guess I would certainly center the clinician and say actually it's really important that you are the one that feels more comfortable and if the if the the client or patient feels some kind of way about that you can always talk about that with them but you don't need to necessarily compromise your own feeling of safety for that um so yeah on this kind of framework that we created a gosh it was a couple of years ago now um it was based on some research that was primarily done by someone called johnny lovell um that was looking at basically how how service users so kind of mental health um, clients patients however you want to term folks that use those services and just getting their opinions on sharing and I guess the general consensus from John, Johnny's research was that sharing aspects of yourself was very often welcomed. Um, and although there were some kind of um, considerations, you know, things like, oh, actually, if, if, if my practitioner is sharing X, Y and Z, are they are they competent enough? You know, maybe some of those assumptions that can crop up into people's minds. But overwhelmingly, people seem to kind of really endorse the idea um, because it, it felt like, yeah, there was, it was a bit more genuine, perhaps. Um, so the framework has kind of a few different areas on it. And it basically, it basically tries to help people to feel prepared before they maybe go into an uh, an interaction or a consultation because I've worked on inpatient wards quite a lot and something that I tell people in training is that if you share an aspect of yourself with one client or service user on that ward you've got to be comfortable and confident enough in the knowledge that every single client or patient on that ward might find out so you can't ask people to keep secrets or anything like that because that's that's really I think can be really counter therapeutic a lot of the time so you need to feel confident in your ability to uh, 
have that information out there. And then as I've mentioned, feeling comfortable as well. But also, this is especially in the kind of psychological world, but supervision is a really key part of our training and our work. Uh, And I always say that using supervision to explore this area as well and what, what your motivations might be for wanting to share aspects of yourself is really important. I'm Completely. just thinking I wish I wish I'd had this conversation like two years ago because I'm not a big small talk person and I'm I am more on the side of you know kind of keeping my business to myself but um when you were talking about uh visible disclosures and shame it was all sort of whirling around in my head because uh I was pregnant on placement last year and um I got the full gamut of questions comments um and you know sometimes i would have morning sickness and i you you know i i wasn't really there to chat sometimes i'd be totally fine to chat about it but the patient sitting in front of you doesn't know you know they do. um but for some reason pregnancy seems to be something that um everybody is entirely comfortable asking you about making judgments about um and it was uh, really interesting, actually. Um, some of the things that people felt comfortable saying to me were just <laughs> unbelievable. So, you, you know, for the most part, people would be like, oh, how far along are you? Congratulations, you know, this and that, um, which is fine, you know, um, and really lovely. And it's really sweet that, you know, people want to say something nice. Um, but because it was kind of at the tail end of the pandemic, I'd also have people saying to me, well, aren't, aren't you worried about your your baby getting covid aren't you worried that they're going to get sick how could you be here are you sc- still going to do medicine after you have the baby i think it's wrong for mothers to go back to work until their child can look after themselves i was just thinking as you were talking like i think it would be really valuable for anybody who has kind of a patient or client interactions to sit down and be like what is my uh my shutdown statement what is my thing i can say when somebody says something to me that i am just not about i am not going to have this conversation in a way that effectively shuts it down without being rude or kind of you know instigating a complaint at myself because you know there were some times when i was pregnant where i was like Mm -hmm. i wish i had the vocabulary to be able to shut down this conversation because pregnancy is a time where you already feel all kinds of (laughs) emotions and shame and going back to work and guilt and everything else and then you've got a stranger looking at you dead in the eye and saying what you're going to work after you have a baby (laughs) yeah i mean that that sounds really tricky maz doesn't it because um yeah i i can only imagine how how weird it is to, you know, potentially feel morning sickness and then also be navigating these conversations and yeah, all those kind of changes that happen. I guess, yeah, I've I've certainly learned from a lot of people that I've I've worked with and I, that I talk to that actually now if people tell me that they're they're pregnant or they they look like they might be pregnant, my response has, has always well it hasn't always but is now much more along the lines of yeah how 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 do you feel about that because I've kind of heard of lots of people that have said to me, actually, pregnancy has been really, really tricky for me. Or, you know, this, there's, there's some circumstances connected with that that are really tricky. And it's maybe not the super happy, joyful time that it is for some other people. So, yeah, as practitioners, 
when we are asked about things which could actually be potentially distressing for us. It's really tough. And that's why I think it's important for us to have support available, either in the form of a mentor or a supervisor uh, or even just a more senior or trusted friend or colleague that we feel comfortable exploring this stuff with. Because you mentioned there, Maz, about having a a phrase under your belt to kind of to use. And I think that's really that, that, that's, that's a good tip. And I think also what you were saying earlier, Cody, about the kind of um, knowing ourselves, I think knowing what our default position is when we're asked uncomfortable things is probably important because if we know that our default position is to overshare or to kind of get all flustery or um, I don't know become quite defensive (laughs) that's probably important for us to be aware of so we can try and yeah introduce a bit of distance between that comment or conversation and our default response so um yeah thanks for thanks for sharing some of that stuff maz yeah i was going to add as well um i think the part of knowing yourself is just sort of like knowing what conversations and topics could potentially lead to that area that you really don't want to go to and just making sure you move things away from there it's a lot more difficult when you're pregnant and your belly is right there and people just feel the need to um make comments and give unsolicited advice yeah i was not it was something that i was really not prepared for was for my body to become like fair game <laughs> everyone was like oh you're a you're a vehicle for a baby now the baby is is the thing you're just the the incubator <laughs> hey <laughs> there you go <laughs> Yeah, it definitely sounds like some of that would have been quite hard to navigate, Matt. And Cody, I just wanted to pick up on something you said as well. It's kind of like almost like knowing where your lines are of like what, what, when something crosses a line for you or when you're about to start feeling really quite uncomfortable, because I can imagine that would shift the consultation quite a lot. Um, And I think that's relevant, not just to medicine, but like elsewhere as well. Like even before starting doing this podcast, I was thinking, okay, what, what am I comfortable sharing? And when does it go over the line? And Cody, I know you've been recording Sharp Scratch for quite a while now. So like, is that something that you've had to kind of process as well? And has that kind of, does that feel similar to medicine for you or does it feel very different? Um, It feels fairly similar. Um, So before I ever started recording, um, doing episodes of Sharp Scratch and stuff, I already sort of knew what areas of my life I'm comfortable sharing and to what extent and the different phrases that I'm going to use to share different things that still remains quite open but um, it's not putting me in a situation I feel uncomfortable with like for example I've shared lots of stuff about like you know finances whilst I whilst being in medical school we've done like the we did like the episode on queerness and medicine so like there's lots of different aspects of my life i'm very very happy to share but i i also think it's important for me to have my own personal things that um not everyone knows i think that's really important it sounds like there's been an element of like self-reflection there which i think has like been a lot of what this kind of conversation has been about it's about like understanding yourself um and 
yeah like do you take that into your consultations with patients as well that same kind of approach yeah i i take that to consultations and i'm this is going to sound so uh i don't know what the word i'm looking for is it's going to sound so um wet but generally like (laughs) um (laughs) sharp scratch episodes have genuinely helped with that reflective process and um another episode that i really enjoyed recording um and i would say has kind of like changed the way i um think about life and how i approach work and everything is the episode about shame um so fighting shame by talking about it so the reflective episodes i've found them really 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 helpful in sort of developing myself and yeah becoming a better person just to like go back to what you were just saying about shame brendan this is something that i think we mentioned briefly when we met before was about how if you do feel a lot of shame actually taking that into the consultation with you and sharing something that you might have a bit of like kind of shame attached to can sometimes really not be the best thing to do because your kind of your motivations for sharing are potentially not kind of in the right place and you don't want the patient to be able to pick up on that shame I guess and you know extrapolate that to their own life in any way yeah absolutely so I guess I guess this might be applicable perhaps more for mental health professionals rather than um, other doctors. I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, I guess certainly um, something that we talk a lot about in this kind of sphere is that idea of, yeah, ensuring that you only talk about things if you do want to share that you have resolved, I guess, yourself. Because working with clients, patients that can sometimes be quite vulnerable themselves and they might have gone through very traumatic, abusive, kind of difficult experiences. The absolute last thing that they would want is to potentially feel like they are having to manage or be burdened with somebody else's difficulties. Um, so as as a professional, I think, yeah, if we are feeling kind of shame about certain experiences or the certain things in our own lives that we haven't resolved, we should be feeling able to seek support for that ourselves. And of course, this adds another potential layer of shame and stigma, that idea that maybe healthcare professionals need to be superheroes and that don't are not affected by things like other people are. We know that's just not true. But yeah, really important point that we need to resolve things before we potentially share them with people that are maybe uh, in a more vulnerable position than we might be. Yeah, I think that that's a really like helpful thing to like always keep in the back of your mind as a healthcare professional. Um, so yeah, we'll come back to talking about some of these uh, like big questions right after this advert. I'm Dr. Matt Morgan, and alongside working as an intensive care consultant, I work as part of the BMJ On Examination team to support you in passing your medical exams. You can get access to our personalised revision resource online and in our app for years 1 to 3, totally free, as well as a huge 40% discount on our medical student finals product. We'll help you pass your exams by making sure to maximise the best use of your time. 
We'll deliver you the most important questions, keep you on track with daily reminders, and give you feedback to show how you're performing. We're committed to making revision easy, so start your journey to passing first time today by visiting onexamination.com to sign up or by downloading the OnExamination app. Okay, back to the show. Um, so I wanted now to just kind of like loop back to the beginning almost um, and go back to what you said, Coyote, about um, having a work persona and like a home persona. And you said that those, you know, started out, uh, like you said, that's changed from when you were 18, maybe straight out of school to how you are now after like years of working. Do you feel like they've like converged closer together or actually like they've like, you know, moved away from each other now? Uh, they have 1000% converged. Um, ah, okay, yeah, like I, so my rest in place is to add a sprinkling of humor and a bit of sass to everything and have a, and have a good laugh. And I think when, when I, when I first started working, so my first ever job was as a service supervisor in the athletes village during the Olympics and I had to manage a team and my idea of being like a, a manager was like you have to be serious and blah, blah 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 and yeah that just is not my vibe at all in the slightest um I'm very I'm a very very silly person right now I'm very silly at work I have to make people laugh it's my it's my big flaw <laughs> I don't think that sounds like a flaw but um, yeah I think like what you said is is really interesting because it's like we don't have to bring our whole selves to work like you don't have to feel like you're exactly the same person you are with your friends as you are you know at work because you're often not like that in other aspects of your personal life you might be different with your family than with your friends and it's fine but I think it is important that people feel like they can come to work and feel like authentically themselves which you know that and like like we said that might not be everything you might not and that might not be sharing you might not have to share everything but it is important that you don't feel like you're hiding or putting on a front maybe um when you come to work um yeah because I think that can probably lead to people feeling quite burnt out if they're trying to manage all of that as well Brendan I don't know if that's something that you've come across or something you've experienced when you were both talking there and I was thinking yeah actually you know this honestly isn't a plug or anything but just <laughs> there is there is an exercise in, in in the book which is all about identity and it kind of encourages people to think about the private self and the public self um, because we know as as you know again I speak as from one particular slice of experience as a kind of queer person there might be elements of queerness that you don't want to show to other people potentially because it's reinforced society like socially or societally as shameful or undesirable for example um so i encourage people to think about those private parts of themselves that they actually maybe really quite like but don't embrace and then the public parts of themselves that they either yeah enjoy or don't enjoy that they that they show the world and then as a kind of bit more of a self-reflective exercise just encourage people to think of what would they need to do 
to get in touch with that kind of more private part of themselves if they were to try and embrace it a little bit more. So not saying that people should embrace it, but if they wanted to, what would they need to do? What would they need to think about? What would they need to become aware of that's maybe keeping that part of themselves hidden? Um, because we know, for example, for a lot of queer people, especially kind of, I guess, gay and bi men, um, femininity can be something which is um, sometimes perceived as undesirable or, you know, socially unacceptable. So those types of exercises can kind of help people to think about how could you embrace that a little bit more so that if you were to bring that to work, it would feel and sit more comfortably with you. So it's a really important, it's a really important consideration, the the public and kind of private self, whether that's at work or not. Um, so yeah, interesting point. I really hope that I can get to the point that Coyote is at, that um, I can... Uh, bring a bit more of myself to work I think that um, at medical school in particular the word professionalism is kind of drummed into you um, so much and sometimes professionalism takes over being human or uh, interacting with people and you start questioning those little interactions you have uh, and wondering is it professional is this uh, professionalism and I'm sure it's been spoken about on Sharp Scratch a hundred times before but um, you kind of you know you feel like you become uh, the healthcare professional instead of the person um, and you have to project this image um, of professionalism and I think that it's re- it's a really difficult standard to live up to because that means different things to different people there's no uh, one-size-fits-all way of saying this is what being professional is, but yeah, I th- I think um, I'm I'm. It's really nice to hear um, that people are embracing themselves at work, being more comfortable at work, and you know, embracing their femininity, masculinity, queerness, whatever that means. For me, as a black queer man, um, a very long time ago, I realized. I will be called unprofessional if I sneeze the wrong way. So I might as well just do what <laughs> yeah. I want to do anyway. Um, because people <laughs> people are still going to be mad. So I might as well just be my like authentic self. So people... Um, I, I, I guess people can attempt um, to weaponize different aspects of the way I present myself in order in, in order to call me unprofessional I, I just think when you've lived i guess 29 years in a body that people want to have opinions about all the time even when you just breathe in you just stop caring and you're just like well as long as whatever i'm doing isn't harming other people then i'm comfortable with the decisions I'm making I'm not I'm not going to go around insulting people or punching people in the face so as far as I'm concerned I'm professional when you were talking Maz about who defines professionalism or what that is I think it's defined by white straight cisgendered able-bodied neurotypical 100 yeah, percent. you know and that's baked into the fabric of the institutions into society into our values into our stories that we tell ourselves and that people tell us and yeah as you were saying Coyote when 
you present anything other than that very heteronormative, um, white, cisgendered, able-bodied way of being, suddenly it's, it's unprofessional. When actually it's just an expansion of experience that no one else has really considered because... Yeah, we don't like difference. We don't like things that stray away from the status quo or that things that feel a little bit um, threatening to the positions of power that keep these particular types of people, institutions, you know, stories going. So it's a really important thing for us to try and expand what professionalism means. And yeah, if that means being black or brown in medicine, being queer in medicine, being disabled in medicine, being neurodivergent in medicine, that's what we should be doing more of because that's how we begin to subtly and more explicitly shift the boundaries of what professionalism is and what a doctor looks like. I guess, and how a doctor behaves. So I think it, important stuff. Um, I guess my final thoughts slash final comments for the episode is sort of, um, it's a saying I've had for many, many years. Um, I'm not a plank of wood. Um, I'm a human being first mm-hmm. and foremost. Before I'm anything else, I'm a human being. And um, whether that is in terms of like bringing your personality or disclosing things uh work the person who is at work is a human being well thank you so much everyone for joining us today um and everyone at home for listening to this episode of sharp scratch if you like our show i'd love it if you could support us by leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts or by sharing it with the people you know tell your friends about it that really helps people find the show Next time, we're going to be talking all about how it feels to be a medical student about to start working in the NHS. So get in touch if you have any questions or want to leave any comments beforehand. You can find us at BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to hear other episodes, subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts. And in two weeks time, you'll be notified of our next episode. Until then, goodbye from us.